John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Hey everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Really, really glad you're here. Welcome those of you over in our East service and those of you who are worshiping online. All right, let me go ahead and uh, cover the elephant in the room. <laughs> I think probably many of you are asking the same question. Where did I get this Argyle sweater and <laughs> why haven't I worn it more often? Uh, now this, my, uh, my face, this happened earlier in the week. I slipped on some ice. I hit a sidewalk with my face, broke my nose, have the stitches in my forehead and my nose. Other than that, I am good to go. <laughs> but if uh, this distracts you while I'm talking, that's why I wore this sweater. <laughs> All right. I didn't want to miss this week, though, because this week we kick off our uh, gospel series. You know, we uh, work very hard to try to give a balanced kind of diet in our teaching. Uh, we want to give a, a series on the gospel. Every year we want to give a series on the Old Testament. We want to give a series on the New, New Testament in the epistles. We want to give a series that's a, what we call a, a breathing in series. We talk about personal growth, a breathing out series. We talk about impacting the world around you. All of that is designed so that you could receive kind of a, a balanced diet from the Word of God. You can hear more about that at our members' meeting uh, if you're a member. But we get to start uh, this gospel series on the Gospel of John, and it's going to run for 10 weeks. And John is answering the question that is the most important question for any human being. And when I say that, I don't just mean those of us who are here or those of you who are online or people that you know. I mean people that you don't know. I mean everyone. And that question is simply this. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And John is uniquely qualified to answer that question because when Jesus was on earth, he was arguably Jesus' best friend. He was one of the original 12 disciples he was one of the inner three, Peter, James, and John, who are mentioned all the time who are with Jesus. At the Last Supper, we know that John had a place of deep honor right next to Jesus. When Jesus was dying on the cross and he was deciding who he would give the care of his mother Mary to, he chose John. So John is uniquely qualified to answer this question, who is Jesus? Now today, I'm just going to cover the first verse. This is going to be packed. This series is going to be, don't miss it. All right, can, I, can I just tell you that? As much as you can, do not miss these 10 weeks. If you are here and you're new, somebody invited you, you're not sure what this is all about, these 10 weeks will give you a picture of who Jesus is, and that's all we want for you. But if you are a follower of Jesus, these 10 weeks will make you fall more deeply in love with Jesus, and that's all we want for you. All right, so try not to miss these 10 weeks. All right, so I'm just going to cover the, the verse that was read to us, and it's a very short verse. It's a very weird way for John to start his gospel because he uses a euphemism for Jesus. He says, in the beginning 
was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in the, in the English, that's uh, just strange. Uh, in the Greek, which is what it was originally written in, the word is logos. In the beginning was the logos. And the logos was God, or was with God, and the logos was God. And that was just be mind-blowing for a first century reader or listener. And I've tried to think of uh, some analogy where I, that I could, you know, I love analogies, and I'm going to use one later on. But uh, there is nothing uh, equivalent in the English language to what Logos meant to somebody in the first century. All right, now, let me just put that aside for a minute. I'm going to come back to that at the end. But instead, let me just focus on the three things that John is telling us about Jesus as he begins his gospel. And to do that, I'm going to replace the euphemism with the proper name of Jesus. All right, so let me just give you that verse again like that. John says, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Just let that hang there. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. I'm just going to use those three phrases for my three points. So let me start with, in the beginning was Jesus. For the first about 150 years of modern science, the prevailing theory about the universe was called the static theory. And the static theory was just that the stuff of the universe, the basic stuff of the universe, matter, energy, dimension, space, time, had always existed. That those things had always been around. And everybody believed that until 1906, a scientist named Albert Einstein published a theory called the Theory of General Relativity. And that went off like a bomb in the scientific community because it seemed to say that the the theory of the static universe was not true, it was incorrect, that the stuff of the universe had not existed forever. That was followed up by... uh, a discovery by Edwin Hubble. Uh, You'll recognize that name because of the Hubble telescope. Edwin Hubble uh, discovered what is called the red shift. When light from stars went through a a prism, uh, the light shifted to the right part of the spectrum, or the red part of the spectrum, which meant that the universe was expanding. And then that was followed up by a discovery by Arno Penzias and Robert Wilson, who were able to uh, measure what was called the cosmic radiation background echo. And what you have to think of with that is if you're out on the 4th of July and the fireworks are going off and you're looking up at the night sky and and a big one goes off and it explodes and then it stops and nothing else happens, you can still see that, that like mark in the sky. That's a radiation echo. And what Penzias and Wilson found discovered was that right in the center of the universe is this huge cosmic radiation background echo. And after that, pretty much all that science lets you know that scientists decided that the theory of the static universe was gone. That the stuff of the universe, all of it, energy, matter, 
space, dimension, time, had not been here forever. That at one point there was nothing, and then there was everything. All right, here's a little side story. This is interesting. So Albert Einstein was publishing parts of the theory of relativity, but it wasn't really working. The equation, something was wrong with the equation. And there was a Russian mathematician named Alexander Friedman who wrote Alexander, or, uh, Albert Einstein and said, there's a mistake in your equation. It's a, you made a schoolboy mistake. You divided by zero. If you'll just correct that, your equation will work and your theory will prove to be true. And Albert Einstein never responded. So Alexander Friedman kept writing him. And finally, Alexander, or gosh, I got to quit doing that. Albert Einstein re- replies to him and says, I've known that for a while, but I couldn't get myself to make the correction. He would later say that was the greatest blunder of his scientific career. And the reason he said I could not make that correction is because of what it would imply. Because what it would imply is that the question for the universe is no longer when or how, but who. What Albert Einstein was saying is that if his theory was true, there had to be someone or something before all the stuff of the universe, that there was a beginning. And John, at the very beginning of his gospel, says the one at the very beginning has a name, and his name is Jesus. Before matter, before energy, before space, before dimension, before time itself, there was Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. And as if that was not enough, John goes on to the next phrase, and he says, and Jesus was with God. Uh, I've been reading uh, a biography of Winston Churchill, and it's, uh, it's huge. It's like 700 pages. I don't think I'm going to finish it. Right? <laughs> but uh, the author is taking like uh, an inordinate amount of time, like the first 150 pages, to uh, tell about what Winston Churchill was like at home, like what his relationship was like with his family what time he would get up in the morning, what he would have for breakfast, how much brandy he would drink during the day, how many cigars he would smoke, right? And uh, what the author's doing is kind of giving a, a peek behind the scenes to see the real Winston Churchill so that when he gets to his public life, it'll make sense. And we all like a, like a peek behind the curtain. I think that's probably why so many reality shows are popular. Here, John is giving kind of a peek behind the curtain at God, at what God is really like, at the very nature of God. And what John says when he says, and Jesus was with God, what he's saying is that God in his very nature is relational, that God is not alone and has never been alone. Now, all the way through Scripture, there are hints about the the, the mysterious nature of God, that that God's nature is beyond the normal categories that we can understand. We actually have a word for that, that when something is beyond the normal categories, we call it a paradox, at the risk of sounding like I know more about science than I actually do. Uh, I remember in physics learning about light, that light was paradoxical in nature, 
that sometimes it, it behaves like a particle and sometimes it behaves like a wave. Right? That's the paradox. In the Old Testament, uh, there is uh, a verse in Deuteronomy, very famous verse, De- Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Every Hebrew child would have memorized this verse. It's called the Shema. It starts like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord your God is one, is one. So Jews were fiercely monotheistic. They believed that there was one God. But in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God speaks of himself in the plural. Let us make man in our own image. Throughout the Old Testament, there are different stories where this mysterious character, the angel of the Lord, appears. And sometimes in the same paragraph, the angel of the Lord will say something to someone. And by the end of the paragraph, it just says, the Lord God said this. So the Lord God and the angel of the Lord seem to be one in the same. What John begins to reveal, and he will reveal more throughout his gospel, is the the triune nature of God, that God is one essence in three persons, which completely is different than any other world religion. That Islam would say that the God is singular in nature. Uh, Hinduism says that there are 300 million gods, and they don't necessarily even know each other. And then there's Buddhism that says that if there is a God, if you want to call it a God, it's this impersonal force that's out there. But here, John says, and Jesus was with God, which is why Christianity can claim that God is love. Not that God is loving. Those are two different things. The God of Christianity doesn't have to create something in order to learn to love. The God of Christianity exists in relationship among himself and is love. So if God was a a body of water and you dove in, it would be love that you would be immersing yourself in. If you want to know why every human being fears being alone, why solitary confinement is still one of the worst things you can do to a human being, Why every one of us longs to be held by someone who will say, you are my beloved and you're not alone. It's because of this. That the God of the universe is relational in nature and he made you in his image. So John starts this gospel by saying, in the beginning was Jesus before Matter and energy and space and dimension and time, there was Jesus. And then he says, and Jesus was with God, that God in his very nature is relational. He is not alone and has never been alone. And then for the knockout punch, John says, and Jesus was God. That is just a jarring statement. And it means a bunch of things. Let me give you at least Three, let me give you three things that that means. First, it means this, that God has come. That God has come. That God was not satisfied with being relational just within himself, but that in Jesus, he has come to have relationship with you and with me. And that in itself is absolutely uh, startling, just amazing, right? But it also means that God is knowable, that you can know what God is like. And that's what John is going to say. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. And that 
means at least a couple of things. One is that you don't have to guess anymore, but it also means you can't make him up anymore. Right? There's so many people I talk to who uh, say something like this, that my God is not like that. And I'm always going, well, you don't get to choose. You don't get to make him up. John says, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And he spends 21 chapters giving us stories, giving us teachings, so that when, when Jesus yells into a tomb and calls Lazarus forth, what that's saying is that God of the universe has power over life and death, and that the God of the universe one day will conquer death. When Jesus takes a a little boy's lunch and feeds 5,000 people because they're hungry and he has compassion on them, the God of the universe has compassion. When Jesus, well, tell you this, the God of the universe is not very fond of people who are proud, particularly religious people who think they're better than other people. The, the God of the universe would touch a person who was blind just so they could see. The God of the universe would touch a leper so that he could be clean. What John is telling us is that if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. But the final thing it tells us is that if Jesus is God, he has complete and absolute authority. Complete and absolute authority. I was reading in my quiet time, with God this week, I was reading uh, the book of Judges. And there's a story about a guy named Gideon. If you're not familiar with the story, uh, Gideon lived at a time when Israel was being terrorized by these people called the Midianites. And they were very cruel people. They were, it was a bad time. And Gideon was scared to death. Uh, the story begins with Gideon threshing wheat. And to thresh wheat, you're supposed to like throw it up in the air so that the, the wind would blow the chaff away and you'd be left with the wheat. But the story begins with Gideon. He's actually in a wine press, which is below the surface of the ground because he's hiding from the Midianites and he's trying to thresh wheat in a wine press, which is not the way to do it, right? It's like he's throwing it up and probably going like that, trying to get it to work, right? And then uh, the angel of the Lord, this mysterious, you know, person appears to him. And the way the angel of the Lord greets him is this. He says, hail valiant warrior, right? And if I was Gideon, I just think I would look behind me, you know, and think, who are you talking to? Because Gideon was scared to death. But in the margin of my Bible, I have written this. You are what God says you are. You are what God says you are. When I say that Jesus has complete and absolute authority, I mean this. If Jesus says you are a sinner, you're a sinner. But if Jesus says you're forgiven, you're forgiven. If Jesus says you're beautiful, you're beautiful. If Jesus says you are loved, you are loved beyond imagination. Right? If Jesus says you are his child, that means you are a child of the king. What Jesus says of you is what is true of you. It also means if Jesus has complete authority, if Jesus tells you to stop doing something, you best stop doing it. If Jesus tells you to start doing something, you best start doing that because Jesus 
is God. That's what John says. So John begins this magnificent gospel by giving us three unbelievable truths about Jesus. That in the beginning was Jesus before matter and energy and time and space and dimension, there was Jesus. That Jesus was with God, that there is this, this amazing triune God that is relational at his very core, and that Jesus was God, which means he has complete and absolute authority, and that God can be knowable, and that God came for you. But John didn't, use, didn't say it like that. He didn't say in the beginning was Jesus. He said in the beginning was the Logos. And I have to try to answer the question, why? Why would John start his gospel like that? Well, to the Greeks of the first century, there was a concept called the Logos. The Logos was like the logic behind everything, the reason, the purpose of whatever it was. It was called the Logos, right? Let me try to explain it like this. I am not a handy person. I've said that before, which means that uh, I don't have many tools in my house. And that means <laughs> that when I try to fix something, uh, very often I don't have the right tool. And one of the worst things is to watch somebody who's not handy try to improvise with a tool that doesn't, that's not designed for that. But it also means that I don't have an appreciation for tools. I don't really uh, look at tools in the way that they should be looked at. And my, my good friend, Jim College, he loves tools. He's very handy. And he uh, loaned me these for this illustration. These are, um, these are wood chisels. And uh, <laughs> when Jim talks about these, he, he talks about them like they're children. He said they're very sharp, but I don't know if they're the right tools to give me, like, with this. But uh, if Jim came to my house and I was using this chisel as a doorstop, he would lose his mind. And the reason is he'd say, Joe, it's not made for that. They has so much more potential than that. Right? You are not using it for its purpose. And what he's saying is, you are not using it for its logos. When John says that Jesus Christ is the logos, what he's saying is life itself really won't make sense without Jesus. Right? He is the purpose. You know, throughout the, the New Testament, the New Testament writers are always trying to get you to answer the question, what is it that makes your life make sense? What is it that gets you up in the morning? What is your purpose? Uh, there's a man named uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. I think, think the story is about Martin Lloyd-Jones. But he had a professor that, he, that was his hero, who was very accomplished, just brilliant. And one night, the professor knocked on his door. He opened it, let him in. And his professor was just despondent. And he asked if he could come in, sat in a chair, and just looked at the fire for like two hours. And what had happened was that the professor, uh, professor's fiance had, had died. And the professor was just unstrung. And what Martin Lloyd-Jones realized was that this brilliant man had lost his purpose. He had lost his, his logos. 
And what Martin Lloyd-Jones realized was that whatever it is that is your purpose, if it is not Jesus, it is not only fragile where you could lose it, but without Jesus, you're like a doorstop. You'll never be what you were created to be. You will never fulfill the potential of how God and why God created you in his image. When John uses logos, he's trying to say life will not make sense unless you know Jesus. So the next 21 chapters are all about that. We're only going to cover the first 18 in the next 10 weeks. But here's the question for you. Who is Jesus? I mean, really. If you have said in your heart, in your mind, oh yeah, Jesus, yeah, the short answer is that he is the Son of God. He's my Lord. Okay. Does he have complete authority in your life? Is it really true that he is the center and so much the center that he is the one that gets you up in the morning that gives you purpose and meaning? If you're here and you are not yet a follower of Jesus, there's a question. When you look at your life, does it really make sense? Are you sure? John begins his gospel, and he begins his gospel with three amazing truths about Jesus. But even as he gives those amazing truths, he's trying to tell you that life itself only has meaning because of Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I come to you and I'm, I'm so grateful that you have decided uh, to give us Jesus as uh, our Savior and that through his life, death, and resurrection, uh, we can be absolutely and completely changed. Thank you that you have made yourself known and thank you that uh, and all of us, I, I, want to, I want to believe that what, what's true about me is what you say about me. I pray that every single person here will realize that, believe it in their heart, and be changed by it. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.